Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books, we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud or iTunes and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE, where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. Tramp Press is an independent Irish publishing company that was established four years ago by Sarah Davis-Goff and Lisa Cohen. Their mission is threefold, to nurture and publish exceptional literary talent, to identify new writers and to also find authors that have been forgotten and neglected. Importantly, they also want to find work that is outside of the literature mainstream. Their first publication was Flight by Una Frawley and since then they've published names that include Thomas Morris, Joanna Walsh and Mike McCormack. Ladies, welcome to Books. Hi, thanks so much for having us. You're welcome. The first question I have to ask is about the name of the business, Tramp Press. Where did it come from? <laughs> well, I wanted to call it Growler. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> and Lisa said no. <laughs> I think we put a pin in it. <laughs> there, there may be <laughs> we wanted something that suggested... Um, an outsider kind of the, the sort of ethos behind the company was we'll be doing something that's not sort of strictly in line with mainstream so something a bit outsidery I mean the whole outsider narrative is all well and good but of course people have been incredibly supportive so it's been sort of um, debunked I guess but the idea was something that's a bit um, a bit upstartish and so we loved Tramp because um, the conversation we were having was about John Millington Singh the Irish playwright and his kind of Tramp figure in his writing and in his letters the Tramp in his work tends to be a proxy for the artist who enters into like a stale um, domestic scene uh, yeah, it's always a stale <laughs> patriarchy he usually uh, he might um rescue someone from that situation or he'll just he'll play with things he'll mess it up so that figure that singing character is sort of the Irish version of the gunslinger I think or a bit like Mary Poppins or whatever so we liked that but that people don't necessarily know that you might hear Tramp and you might think of Beckett some people talk about Chaplin some people ask if we do erotica Um, (laughs) it's a bit of a Rorschach we like that Um, it's very interpretable and it's not um, pigeonholed. It's not pigeonholed. And w- another thing we like about it is that's a, a little bit of a nod to other publishers we like, like um, Virago, like Jezebel. There's this bit of a sense of sort of, you know, reclaiming a word. And it is sort of the word you brought up there, Lisa, is outsider. And that is something that sort of I would nearly associate with, with you guys all the time. You are different. You are different to mainstream. Was that, was that on purpose? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons we wanted to set up Tramp is because having worked in the industry for as long as we have, we saw certain recurring problems and we wanted to, in creating our own company, to address these problems to try something new. Um, For example, we designed the company so that we could only publish... Um, a few titles a year, essentially. We've seen that other publishers, larger publishers, tend to, you know, throw 20 books um, out there every year. And it's a bit like, you know, throwing things at a wall and seeing what sticks. And that's a little bit of a problem in that it's not great for the writers involved. Um, you know, you're putting out a lot of things that you might not completely love. And we really wanted to invert that and just only put out books that we feel incredibly passionate about and then really devote all of our time and resources um, and funds to these individual projects to just make sure that they were successful. And did you really feel there was a place for that in Irish publishing? Oh, massively, yeah. Mm. I think we, I think what Sarah's touching on 
there is that uh, mainstream conservative publishing has a problem in that it publishes both too much and too few because we would often see a very good manuscript um, come along and we've spoken to numerous agents and uh, publishers about this. A very good manuscript comes along and someone will say, that's terrific, but listen, it's not going to sell. And you hear stories about people being passionate, arguing in an acquisitions meeting for a manuscript only for marketing to sit in and say, sure, but that's a weird book. No one's going to buy it. Um, Mike McCormick has spoken very openly about this, that his work, we everybody thinks of Mike as the writer's writer. Everybody loves his work. But, you know, he was never a very big name and he struggled to find publishers and tended to get the kind of feedback that was, look, we love this, but you don't sell big enough numbers to justify us buying you. you and know? you've managed to debunk that myth then with him. Oh, he sold for us. <laughs> <laughs> but we should also say that we've, oh, we couldn't do this anywhere but Ireland. We get supported from the Arts Council and without that support, we'd find it very, very difficult to function. So we're incredibly grateful for that. And Irish readers are a little bit unlike any other readers we've come across. I mean, the more Lisa and I work in the UK and work in the US, the luckier, the luckier we realise that we have it here. You know, the reading community here is incredibly strong um, they communicate really well with each other. Um, so, yeah, we're, we feel very yeah. lucky. So that was something we were kind of mindful of that, you know, people would say this is a weird manuscript or this has been written by a woman no one's heard of or <laughs> God forbid, three of the main four characters are women and so on. Um, it'll never sell. It'll never sell. <laughs> and I mean, when you think about whether the book will sell, whether it'll wash its face, that, that you know, that decision is, it's really terrible. It really, publishing doesn't really work on paper as a business. Funnily and enough. did you get an awful lot of that? Did you hear that an awful lot yeah. in the industry? Yeah. And that is a thing in the industry. And we've had conversations with very smart people who work in publishing who say, I would have loved to have published this, but I couldn't get it passed. You know, because there, you do have to sit down and do the sums. It is most books don't earn back their advance. Most books don't sell that well. They don't tend to be reprinted. It's just that's very normal with the industry. It's been the case for a long time. So what do you do? You spread bet. Maybe you spend a lot of money publishing a big fancy commercial book that you know will make a lot of money that'll pay for the smaller books. And you can do that if you're very large. If you're smaller, you have to be more conservative or you take the approach we're taking, which is be more like an arts organisation, get funding from the Arts Council that will cover the cost of what you're doing. Work incredibly hard to to put the book out there. We do want the books to sell, but we don't put pressure on the authors to be bestsellers and say, you know, if you don't sell X numbers, we'll drop you. That's just, you know, there's no sense. In, I mean, there's there's a lot of sense in it, but there's no, there's no dignity in it. Um, so the idea we had was that we our hunch was that Irish readers for starters would actually read weird books and guess what they do and they love being told this is kind of a difficult book or it's a bit strange but you're going to love it and they will try it out and they will go for it and then the word of mouth carries that on. It sounds nearly like you have more of a partnership with your authors. I think good publishing is about good partnerships. I think it's always about uh, collaboration. I mean I think it's about bringing that that raw talent, uh, matching it with like Lisa's brilliant editorial skills and then just working as a team to bring this, you know, often odd, always brilliant offering to readers. And, you know, readers are smart. And we talk about the writing and the art and it sounds like we get to hang out and talk about books all day long. But actually, Sarah is a lunatic about marketing and just constantly coming up with ideas. Really, really hardworking, really drives intense campaigns that go on well past publication date. And I think Until that's... everyone is exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and do you find that because if money is an issue, let's say, and, and you have to work harder with the budget that you have, that you have to be more creative in terms mm. of marketing the book? 
Honestly, I think creativity is kind of a given. I think what pe- people should possibly talk about more when, when dealing with arts organisations and publishers is doing the simple things well, just making sure that you have galleys and plenty of time, for example, making sure your design is on point. I think the one, the one lesson I've learned from all of this is the great thing about being a boss is you get to just get out of the way of people doing their work. So we're, I don't know, I often think we're more like facilitators than anything else. We're just... We try to let the authors be authors and just do their work really well. We let our designers do their work really well. Um, so it's about bringing people together and also just, you know, getting the fuck out of their way then so that they can do their jobs. <laughs> and they're gone. And how many books a year then do you publish? So far, it's been three every year. Um, it doesn't have to be three. It's just sort of the, the schedule that's working out really well for us. So Now, to anybody listening, they may think that sounds really, really little. So how can you make money as a business as a result? Again, we really wouldn't be able to do what we do without funding. And we're really grateful for that support Um, but at the same time our books tend to sell better than possibly um, other sort of you know small literary fiction titles um, just because we we can devote so much of our year so much of our attention to each individual title so yeah I think we've got very respectable market share in the UK now I think we're giving people a run Mm -hmm. for their money and people don't necessarily think that because we are small we're based in Dublin most smaller Irish publishers tend to distribute within Ireland and then to do deals with UK publishers but we have distribution there and um, it's it's and how did you break in there? How did that work? Again, lots of lots and lots of hard work, lots of um so you couldn't, for instance, go around to every single bookshop in the UK. You can you can make a big dent in Ireland. Um it's easy to get to know booksellers here. But um we targeted bookshops and um the kind of places that our books are likely to be sold in and to do well in, um, cultivated relationships with buyers at places like Waterstones and Foils mm-hmm. and we go over and back to London at least once a month, probably. Yeah, it feels like more right now. But I mean, I think in, in most of these cases, in most stories of success, I think it's just generally about people being really sound to you. So, um, you know, the buyers in the UK have been like really open to just meeting with us and hearing what we have to say and, and looking at our titles. Um, and after four years, you have a great track record. Thank, Thank you. you. I, I think, yeah, it's not... Um, that hey, we publish good books. <laughs> and it's not that like anyone couldn't do this. I think that people smartly choose not to. I think it is very sensible to publish in Ireland only and distribute within Ireland only and Irish books sell well as as a marketing tool. But I think if anybody were trying to to break in, I think they'd, you know, I I don't think we're doing anything sort of genius. We're not doing anything magical, no. We're just, we're really ambitious. I mean, we don't want to just be, you know, a good Irish publisher. We want to be a world-class publisher that operates internationally. And it's great to see that passion coming through, though. You know, in the industry, it means the industry hopefully is, is in safe hands. Mm-hmm. So just going back then to authors, how do you find them? You know, talking about earlier on about outsiders and sort of slightly different reads, where do you get them from? So one thing we do, like a lot of other small um, publishers, is we have an open submissions list, which means that um, if you've written a book um, and you're looking for someone to publish it, you can just send it into us. Now, a lot of the larger publishers, you can't. You'd need an agent or something to, to send it on to the right editors. So going through our slush pile, which is that long pile, that long sort of list of unsolicited manuscripts that we get sent in, about three a day. Um, so that's something we obviously keep a really close eye on um, because there are so talented do you do? writers. Do, do you read them all? Absolutely, of course. Um, again, working with other publishers and deciding to create our own business, one thing we want to do really well is work the slush pile. Um, Which, and that's all Sarah. I have to interject to that. So Sarah takes whatever... <laughs> you leave all the work to her. I basically do. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I'm the, the mascot. Sarah gets the... So the Sarah manages the account through which they come in. She will log 
the submission she'll put it to one side she'll put the cover letter to another side um, so that when she comes to read them she'll read them blind which okay. I think is really unusual because I think a, a more cynical person might start with the cover letter on the off chance that it's somebody famous or somebody related to someone or whatever so it's purely led by the quality of the writing and then she'll acknowledge it on the day that it comes in more or less and then we'll have a reply usually within a month which is highly unusual um, quite quick yeah six months is what people tend to promise and often it can take longer so that I think that's a, a huge, um, a huge benefit we bring. Uh, look, I think. Just treating writers like people is really well, important. This is exa- exactly <laughs> it. And the other question is, though, what is the quality like? Um, it's generally very high. I mean, there are we've although we've. Uh, Although only a handful of the few thousand manuscripts that have been sent into us have actually, we've actually gone on to publish. Um, the truth is that a lot of those works would do really well for another publisher. They're just not quite right for us. Um, you do get the odd, strange submission for sure, but mostly they're really good. There are a lot of talented people out there. And many's in your search pile at the moment that you have to go through. Um, so I've read nearly everything that's on there, which is great. We're just out up to date, but we've got nearly 3,000 submissions on there. Quite a lot. It's a lot. And you have quite a strict submission policy, though. <laughs> I don't think it's that strict, <laughs> to be totally fair. We just want people to not be sexist to our faces, ideally. Um, wh- where has that come from? What's happened? <laughs> Experience. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we noticed, um, so, you know, if you start to compile a long list of anything, um, you start to notice certain, um, you know, certain factors um, like people would talk about their influences in their cover letters, for example, and I would see long reams of um, novels by dead white dudes. Um, You know, there'd be 10 to 12 novels named and they'd all be my men. This is kind of exhausting to look at. We'd get the occasional submission addressed to dear sirs as if the only people who could, you know, who were qualified to judge a manuscript must be male. Um, Lisa and I are very... Or is that not just a case of lack of research on the author's part that they just, as you said, though, it is an assumption? Sure is, yeah. It's, it is too. an assumption. I mean, I think you've, if you've done no research, listen, time is short. I'm not, like, I'm still going to read Agreed. your manuscript, but um, don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you really need to look at your bias there. And why are you assuming that male is the default? It's yeah. not the default. And I think as well, a lot of people want feedback when they send in a manuscript. And it's simply not possible for a publisher. It's a bit like... Like um, oh, somebody was tweeting about this. It's like if you had a job interview and you turned up and said, "Give me tips on how to behave in this job interview," mm-hmm. like there and then. But um, w- one very valid piece of feedback is, "Hey, I think you should broaden the range of your cultural expression, and you know, go go read books by women or people read of more or whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's 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 actually a very valuable piece of feedback. Reading is is one of the most important pieces of feedback you can you can suggest. And how much mm-hmm. of a submission, Sarah, will you read before you make a decision? Until I'm sure, one way or the other. And sometimes that happens quite quickly within a few pages. Sometimes it takes much longer. Um, and for those good manuscripts that are obviously, you know, well-written and interesting, Lisa and I will then go on to have an editorial meeting. So we'll both, you know, look at it in greater detail and talk about it and move on from there. Yeah, so basically Sarah does the first layer and then when she picks out all the promising ones, we then sit down for our editorial meeting. So I get this sort of curated reading list um, which is great fabulous and you trust each other's instincts I assume then having worked together for so long 1000% I mean I really trust my own instinct and then if Lisa's differs in any way which is rare enough we're usually usually on the same page I'll really like I'll I'll probably just listen to her and (laughs) you're not genre specific Mm -hmm. so you know it's down to the writing really 
Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So so far we've only published literary fiction and that's most of what people send us but we would love to find some really great sci-fi or YA I really enjoy reading. Because you horror. are both sci-fi fans and that's one of the things mm-hmm. that sort of uh, you drew each other to each other because you love sci-fi you love Stephen King. Yeah, we didn't bond over like, you know, highfalutin literature we bonded <laughs> over talking about like trashy Stephen King novels which we both adore. Yeah, <laughs> As you do. And Sarah, just, uh, you know, before we, we move on from the whole submission end of things you discovered Don Ryan. <laughs> That is such a nice thing to say, but I'm just not sure it's exactly true. It is exactly true. So Sarah was working in Lilliput. This was before I was there. And she found him in the slush pile. And Sarah was working through that slush pile like a boss and found the manuscript, was excited by it and brought it. And so the system in Lilliput is that they have a board and there's a lot of people that it has to go through. So Sarah kind of badgered everybody to read it. And it's, I think it's very hard when you've got a million manuscripts to read you know for someone to come along and say no read this one because there's and tomorrow someone will be excited about something else so to make a case for somebody to take time read a manuscript is you know that that's really important and then Lilliput decided to publish it and then I remember starting in Lilliput and the book was just in production so nobody knew who Donald Ryan was but anybody who walked into the office Sarah would say we've got this amazing author you have to read it I'm going to send you the PDF <laughs> I am and you come in the next balls. day have you read it yet and um, <laughs> I just remember that that was before anybody knew who he was before he was cool uh, that's very nice um, but like you know you guys have read the books they're amazing yeah they're amazing you'd be pressing them on but it's wedding. interesting though that your instincts are obviously you know quite quite it started well and have developed since you know oh, well, thank yeah Sarah's got I mean, a really good eye for good work but you know we, I, I, I don't think I'm doing anything that anyone else wouldn't be able to do we all recognise great writing when we see it I think it's like in our genes and speaking of great writing Mike McCormick's Solar Bones so last year so you were only three years in business at that point he was a man booker contender so I mean that must have been fantastic that was a pretty nice um, yeah we drank some bubbles it was pretty good (laughs) so what happened How how did that come about um, so we have been fans of Mike McCormick for a really long time. Um, his backlist for anyone who wants to go looking for it is extraordinary. We would really recommend it. Um, and so we had understood from Mike's agent that there was a new novel in the works and we essentially badgered her until we got to see it. And then we badgered Mike. A lot of badgering. Um, a lot of badgering going on here. Yeah. <laughs> it worked. Um, we, I mean, we read it and we absolutely loved it. It's an extraordinary work of fiction. I, I think it's one of the most important Irish books to come out. Um, in, in the last 10 years at least um, it's really something so um, so we were so delighted we got to publish it and we pushed it really hard um, and I think as usual in any success a, part, a lot of that success was just people trusting us and, and you know being sound and giving it a go um, so yeah we were delighted Yeah, I think Mike already had a really strong base mm-hmm. of readers and people who admired his work and people who were anxious to see what he would do next and it's just it's an incredible piece of work and an incredible evolution in his writing. So um, people trusted him mm-hmm. too. And we, we did the same thing with Mike we do with all our authors. We read the manuscript, we agreed we loved it and we arranged a sit down with him where we told him why we loved it, what our plans were for it. And I think it's really important not to think that the publisher is somebody who turns up with a contract and says, it's your lucky day, pal, but to say, we want to argue our case and tell you why we think we you know, could work with you on this. And, uh, and interesting, you did encounter some sort of challenges, I suppose, along the way with the man booker and you ended up getting the rules changed. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Lisa and I are quite outspoken when we see injustices in the industry. Um, and it's really nice just to be our own bosses so that we can, you know, if we t- you know, take a notion one day to write a peevish article... 
um, we are allowed to do that. Um, so we pointed out this problem in the rules a couple of years ago and we wrote a couple of pieces for it for the Irish Times and the Guardian and we've been sort of pestering the people at the Man Booker ever since and there was a turnover um, in terms of leadership there a little while ago. So now it's essentially run by a woman called Gabby Wood, who is incredible. Um, so we had a bit of a back and forth with her. We eventually flew over to London um, just before last Christmas and had a sit down with her. And um, and yeah, then the rules were changed and we're absolutely delighted. It's fascinating that a lot of people's reaction was, I didn't know Irish publishers mm. weren't eligible mm-hmm. to submit books to the Man Booker because Irish authors have been winning it um, pretty well for years. Yeah, we've actually, I think, um, so English writers have won it the most and Irish writers have won it the second most or something. Amazing. I mean, we've won it so many times. And we are a tiny, tiny country. You know? And it's amazing, as you said, it's only when you get down into the small print that you realise what the, the issues are, you know. Um, so I suppose, just going back to bigger picture then, the Irish publishing industry at the moment, you've you've been doing your own thing for four years. So what's your view on where we're at? I'm, I think it's an incredibly supportive industry. I think we certainly benefit from people like Declan Mead who set up the Stinging Fly 20 years ago so there's a wonderful 20 year anthology coming out actually as well people should check that out Declan has been kind of laying the groundwork for people like us I think and supporting writers and, mm-hmm. and bringing them up There, we were just talking about the new issue of the Dublin Review there oh, are it's stunning go out and get it this is editions. issue number 70 it's so good it's so good um, there is a lot of incredibly good work and a lot of great support there for writers and we find people we know in the industry here are really friendly really um, forthcoming coming with advice and help mm. so that's that's a huge factor for us and similarly booksellers are they're sound oh they're super this. sound it's, good, it's a really good ecosystem oh, yeah, to we're be so fair lucky. I slightly feel like in the UK it's uh, booksellers are very friendly but I feel like with publishers particularly the larger ones when we talk to friends over there they just seem a little bit down and I think there's been a contraction in finances that has led to some conservative decision making. I think people feel pressure. I don't feel like people are enjoying it as much as they are over Which here. Which is a shame. Yeah, because it's a great industry. But I you're think you're not in it for the money. If you're not enjoying it, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, speaking of money and deals, we can't ignore the fact, Sarah, that you have signed a two book deal with Woo-hoo! Tender Press. <laughs> Thank so, you. I'm tell us all. <laughs> Why? Um, I don't know. It's hard to talk about. Like, yeah, it's it's hard to talk about. It's um, I'm really enjoying the process and I've been tinkering away on this novel for a few years uh, it was pretty crappy and then Lisa edited it and it all kind of came together I just interfered with it a little bit I didn't do a big edit <laughs> um, but picture the scene last year I was planning my wedding so I was like so I'm not busy to, I was like I'm not super uh focused this year you'll have to run the company without me so I, it was like roughly around the time I was getting married we had a huge funding application process to undergo we had a lot of work on and you know at the weekends I just collapse but Sarah is like just working on her novel working on her novel and sends I'm one of off. those working on my novel assholes so <laughs> but actually is working on her novel and got this pretty massive book deal which I'm really excited about and I was really privileged Thank to get to read the manuscript it's really dynamic it is like a feminist version of The Road with Zombie it is dynamic and um, sci-fi again sci-fi again yeah Yeah, it's sort of um, dystopia literary fiction I guess Um, and I'm talking about sexism I'm talking about the patriarchy I'm talking about addiction a little bit Um, but it's essentially just about two people trying to get from A to B and like running into some problems on the way but what was it like you know being on the other side of the table you are the author now as opposed to the Mm -hmm. publisher well uh, to be honest I mean we work so closely with our authors I think it would have taken sort of a massive 
gap in empathy if I didn't have any idea what it must be like. Um, so it is interesting, but um, not not surprising so far, I guess. And so I'm just trying to, I, you only get to de- be a debut once, so I'm just trying to enjoy it as much as I can. And Lisa, what was it like editing it? That was fantastic. I was really nervous oh, whenever, so good. because this happens all the time. People are like, hey, do you want to read my novel or my manuscript? And you think, oh God, oh no, what if I hate it? <laughs> I was so relieved to enjoy it so much. And it was, it was wonderful to get to read it, to get to, um, it's funny because as an editor, when I work with our authors we have a kind of a professional wall with them where we have a friendly sit down and I say just so you know when we get into editing I'm going to turn into like bad no cop girl. or whatever <laughs> um, so but funnily looking at Sarah's writing I felt like it was a real transgression to say you know I think you should change this and I should, you should move this around or whatever like that that felt impertinent it, it is a different kind of thing and it was mm. much more of a kind of a casual interference I also think we should really be like we should let your editor be your editor at your actual publisher. Right. Well. I mean, my agent, Sally-Anne, d- like also did a brilliant edit and really brought it along. And then my actual editor um, at Tinder Press, um, Marianne Harrington, who is brilliant, um, like really knocked it into shape. So I'm really lucky um, in that I've had uh, lots of help with this. And when is it going to be on the shelf? Um, Last One's Left Alive is going to be out for sale in January of next year. So we've got a little bit of time to freak the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> and Lisa, are you writing at all? No, that's not my skill at all. No, I, I really enjoy being an editor. You write um, nonfiction. Basically. Oh, I do write nonfiction. <laughs> I have. A, she just forgot about that. Right. Bit. <laughs> I have a chapter in the Oxford Handbook of Irish Theatre. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, I, I do a little bit of stuff. So my background is I did academic writing on um, Irish uh, drama and stuff. So I occasionally I'll do like a, an academic thing. Um, that nobody reads and nobody's interested in but that's just my little pet interest and then uh, the occasional peevish article in um, you know Prospect or the Irish Times or something like that but I I don't really think of myself as a writer at all And then just before we leave you your next book is uh, going to be on shelves shortly It's Problems I'm so excited You know when you get the tingles when you're like it's like looking forward to Christmas or something you know like it's just it is such an extraordinary book it's one of those books you put your nose onto it on the first page and you don't like draw breath until the last it's um, it's ballsy and disgusting and so smart and so funny. And she's an American writer, which is interesting. Yep. Uh, Jade Sharma is an American Indian lady living in New York. Um, but we came across this wonderful novel uh, via her agent, Lucy Luck. And um, as like Lucy just knows what she's doing. She knew, that, she knew that she would love this. So as soon as we picked it up, we were sold. So it's already been published in the US and you're publishing it in Ireland and the UK. That's exactly right. And have you any plans to do any more of that sort of international work? Yeah, I mean... I think as publishers, it's not it's not our job to be prescriptive when it comes to what we're looking for. I think, you know, we can only keep our feelers out and keep reading everything that's going on. And it's our job to publish the absolute best of what we can find out there. And that's what we're doing. Yeah, I think we, we are certainly identified as an Irish publisher. But the, the plan long term is to be a great international publisher who is based in Ireland. I mean, when you think about it, this country has four Nobel laureates for fiction, but we don't have an equivalent of Faber and Faber or Canongate or Edition and why is that? It's because I think two reasons. One is Irish publishers feel it's easier to sell on rights to the UK and let bigger companies take that risk and all the they have the infrastructure. And then there's also the just the fact that it's easier to sell Irish books in Ireland. The, the, uh, describing a book as Irish is a whole marketing ploy that is extremely useful. And I think that you know it's a wonderful thing. I think that reputation is well deserved. But um, 
so there's a sort of an assumption that if you're Irish, you'll only publish Irish books for Irish people by Irish people. But we think there are people living in Ireland and abroad and whatever who are not Irish, who are public, who are writing work that deserves to be out there and deserves to be championed. And we want to be at the forefront of that. The the hundred year plan is to be more like a, a I guess a Faber and Faber that you have an incredible backlist that then helps to support the ambitious new writing that you find. Well, Sarah Davis Goff and Lisa Cohen from Tramp Press, we wish you the very best of luck with everything. Thank you for joining us here on Inside Books. You'll find more details about Tramp Press at trampress.com. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books IRE. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on SoundCloud or iTunes. I'm Breda Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production. 